I, my name is Ethan Magnus, one of the pastors here. I hope you are already having a great summer. At my house, it feels like we are halfway through the summer. It may not feel like that to you, but we are a little over a month since school let out, and the bad news is we are barely more than a month till school is back. So we are exactly at the halfway point. My kids have been traveling a lot so far. We were finally back together as of Friday night. Got to, The first night, we'd all slept on the, on the same roof in a month was Friday night. Uh, so that was fun. And so, of course, on Saturday, uh, we had a big family meal. Uh, we invited uh, both sets of grandparents, aunts and uncles, all together and ate together. We had some catching up to do. Two birthdays we had to catch up on. Had to catch up on Father's Day presents. So there were Father's Day. So there were presents to exchange, meat to be eaten. There might have been some veggies there, too. I didn't notice. Uh, but anyways, it was a great family meal together. And it was important because that ritual of eating together had been disrupted for us for more than a month. And what we know is that our rituals of eating together, sometimes it's for a special occasion like a birthday, or sometimes it's just because it's Saturday night and that's what you do is go eat with your family. Those rituals are essential to the unity of our family. And it doesn't matter how much DNA we share, without those rituals, eventually a family kind of shreds apart, doesn't it? And that's why we're talking about hospitality for these two weeks, uh, because the same is true about God's family. We need rituals that unify us, without which we sort of get torn apart. First Peter writes this, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. According to Peter, if you know it's the end of the world, you need four things. Love, hospitality, speaking, and serving. Last week, we began to look at the essential nature of the gift of hospitality to the life of the church. Uh, We focused on the fact that hospitality is essential to the evangelistic mission of the church. And in case you miss it, I just want to let you know the punchline here, okay? If you know how to bake a cake or a loaf of bread or make a clean bed for somebody who needs a place to stay, or offer a cup of cold water to someone who is thirsty, then you have the gifts required to be a missionary. Like, that's it. That's enough. Somebody else can be in charge of the talking. You be in charge of the hospitality. And that is already one of the essential gifts of Christian mission. This week, though, we're going to look at another aspect of hospitality. I want to offer a little bit of warning um, there probably is going to be an edge of challenge to today's message. I've been living with it all week long as I've been preparing the message and kind of working through these texts. The whole week, I've just been kind of I've been observing a gap between how I live my life 
and how God's word expects me to live my life. Like kind of the whole time I've been reading these texts and preparing these messages and I just can't escape the notion that there's a gap between who I am and how I live and what this text seems to assume God has for me. And you might notice the same thing. And Whenever there's a gap like that, that's an opportunity God's spirit is giving us to step in and accept a challenge of greater faithfulness. Because what we're going to discover today is that it isn't just that hospitality is essential to the evangelistic life of the church. It's also that hospitality is essential to the internal life of the church. And when the the internal hospitality of the church is weakened or ignored, then the gospel is threatened and the church is weakened. And this has been true from the very, very beginning. This isn't some new feature of the church. From the very beginning of the church, hospitality was an essential part of God's intention for the internal life of the church. Uh, The church began on Pentecost Sunday. Uh, Peter uh, and the apostles preached this great sermon to thousands of gathered Jews. Uh, More than 3,000 began to follow Christ that day, and they immediately began the rhythms of the very first church. Acts chapter 2 describes these rhythms to us. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, They continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. From the very beginning of the life of the church, we have these two poles of existence, these two essential rhythms, these two kind of places where the life of the church happens. The life of the church happens in public places, in the temple courts where the apostles teach and the message of Christ is proclaimed to those who would listen. And the life of the church happens in personal spaces. I don't mean private like you by yourself in your prayer closet, although that's also essential to the health of the church. I mean personal. A meal shared with family and friends and strangers you've never met before. Uh, The breaking of bread and fellowship. It's right there in the beginning that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the public life of the church, and to fellowship. The personal, not private, but personal life of the church. They, they, they shared everything in common, making sure everyone had enough to food, to, to eat. What more radical hospitality could we imagine? And yet they persisted in preaching the gospel where it could be heard by all people. Always public and personal. The, li- the life of the church always was in these two spheres. It continues, Acts chapter 5, verse 42. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. The church's life from the very beginning is lived as a rhythm between these two expressions. Public worship and personal hospitality and fellowship. And so what that means, of course, is that for them and for us, if you're only participating in one of these two expressions of the life of the church, you're only participating in half the church. Like, you're just missing the other half. 
And, and when this works, when the hospitality, the shared personal life of the church is functioning as its best, it is awesome. Uh, we see this all over uh, God's word, but I'll just use one text. This is from next week's reading. Uh, next week's uh, it, our reading is Romans 14 through somewhere in Corinthians. Uh, and one of those chapters you'll read is Romans 16. In Romans 16, Paul says hello to lots of people. He just greets a whole bunch of people. Uh, he greets Priscilla and Aquila. Uh, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risk their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets in their house. Paul has not just worked with Priscilla and Aquila in the public spaces of ministry. Not just preached with them and taught with them, though he has done that. He also has worked with them in the personal spaces of Christian ministry. He shared their home and their business when he ministered in Corinth. And now he celebrates with them not just their public leadership, but also the church that meets in their very house. But my favorite example of, the, the, of how hospitality functions in the church from this chapter is not Priscilla and Aquila, although they're pretty impressive. It's verse 13. Romans 16, 13. Greet Rufus, first of all. Great name. If any of you are expecting children right now, Rufus, I recommend it. Okay. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me also. Here's what I love about this verse. I love that we have no idea what Paul is talking about here. We have no idea what Rufus's mom did. You know, we don't know the circumstances under which he developed this familial relationship with Rufus's mom. We don't know where they met or when or how long ago. Are they new friends or old friends? Have they known each other decades? Do they grow up together in Tarsus? We, have no, we, don't, we don't know anything about what he's talking about. And at the same time, we know exactly what he's talking about. We know exactly what he means. He means he was sick and she showed up with chicken soup. Or he'd been traveling all day and she had a warm bed ready for him. Or he got up in a rush for a day full of preaching and she sent him out the door with a bag full of food and a water skin so that he could make it throughout the long day. Or if she visited him in prison with sandwiches for the guards and for him so they'd treat him a little better. I love that about this verse. We have no idea what it means and we know exactly what it means all at the same time. What it means is that hospitality is essential to the internal life of the church. And it happened then, and it happens even today. I love it. I love it when I look at people whose lives are caught up in this twofold rhythm of the church. They, they live a public Christian life participating in worship and proclaiming the glory of God in all their relationships, but also they're deeply dialed in to personal relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ where they're sharing mutual hospitality with one another. I, I lead a small group on Wednesday nights. I talk about it every once in a while. I love these guys. It used to be junior and senior guys, but the seniors graduated, so I guess we have to kick them all out, and now it'll just be senior guys. But anyways, I, I love these guys. 
And one of my favorite things about it is, is watching them get connected with the personal dimension of the life of the local church, developing a personal connection with other Christians where we share our lives and our stories. And one of the ways you can tell that somebody's getting in, kind of a, a way to measure it, is by watching how they relate to the fridge full of drinks that's down in my basement. There are four stages in this relationship as they deepen in their experience of Christian hospitality. Uh, stage one is, and they're up here, I offer them something to drink and they politely refuse. That's stage one. Okay. Uh, stage two is I offer them something to drink and they accept what I've offered them. And I'm like, yes, okay, good. They feel they don't think I'm going to poison them. They feel a little more welcome in my home. Uh, stage three is they just show up and say, hey, can I get a soda out of the fridge? And I say, sure, grab a soda. That's great. Sure, that's fine. Stage four is, and this is my favorite stage. I love stage four. They don't even ask. I get down to the basement and somebody's got the fridge door open. They're leaning in and they're like calling out, I got root beer and Coke and Sprite and water. Does anybody want anything? And they're just passing stuff out. I, I, that, that's my favorite. Stuff because what that means is they have begun to experience the, the personal life of the church. They, they feel like they belong in this place, not by blood or by marriage, but by our mutual love and being loved by Jesus Christ. Now, because I work with teenage boys in this small group, there is a stage five. This is stage five. Hey, why is there any soda in the fridge? That's stage five of their comfort level. I'm not as big a fan of stage five, I'll be clear. But the first four stages, I love watching somebody uh, move through those four stages. And you have experienced those stages too, right? Some of you are actively in relationships where you're well at stage four. Like you could walk in their house and grab something to drink out of their fridge or grab snack food out of their shelves and you don't have to ask where it is. You know where, where's the drawer that has all the chips or where the cookies are or where the glasses are. And you just, you make yourself at home we say because you've developed you're experiencing the life of the church both in its public and in its personal dimensions I see this happening in our Sunday school classes over shared meals and social events I see this happening we got supper clubs in this church that have been going on for decades people sharing the mutual hospitality with one another we got dinner for eight happening right now one of the things I love at Dinner for Eight, it's a way for a lot of people who aren't experiencing maybe kind of the personal dimension of the hospitality of the church to kind of jump in and meet some people. We've got, we've got hundreds of people that are right now are getting together throughout the summer just to, just, just to share a meal. We put them into groups. We give them your contact information, and you just get to share a meal together just to celebrate uh, the personal relationships we have because of Jesus Christ. As an aside, I will say, this is one of the reasons that we as a church need to get better at honoring singles and honoring singleness as a fully human, God-honoring way to experience the world. Uh, it turns out that singles are usually way better at this than married couples are. Singles are usually way better at kind of connecting disparate people, not because they're family or whatever, but because of their mutual relationship with Jesus Christ and kind of building these connections. There are all kinds of studies that show that singles contribute more to local social organizations. Singles volunteer more to these kinds of connecting ministries, both in the church and outside of it. Uh, I think it's because married people, once you get married, just get so kind of insular focused on your family and your house and your kind of thing. It's hard to remember. The other reason we as a church related to hospitality need to do a better job honoring singles and honoring singleness as a fully human way to live a life and honor God is because sometimes our hospitality rhythms can get too coupley in the church. 
Like we develop whole hospitality rhythms around being a couple. And it can really isolate and exclude singles if we're not careful. And that's obviously the opposite of what God intends for us to do. And I don't think we intend to do that either. But if we're not conscious about it, we will accidentally, uh, we'll actually get it wrong. And it turns out there are actually lots of ways to get this wrong. There are lots of ways to forsake the hospitality as an essential ingredient in the life of the church. We, we, this happened in the ancient world, too. Um, here, there, are a lot, there are several examples in God's Word. One of my favorites, because it's the worst, really, I suppose, is in Galatians chapter 2. Uh, Paul shows up in Antioch, and he tells us the story of what happens. When Cephas, that's another name for Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles, we know that a person is not declared not guilty because they keep the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be declared not guilty by faith in Christ and not by keeping the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be declared not guilty. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. Now that's quite a sermon that Paul preaches. And what prompted Paul to preach such a sermon? A breakdown in the hospitality of a local church. Paul thinks, Paul teaches that when the hospitality of a local church breaks down, it actually calls into question the clarity of our gospel witness. As if he's saying, you think Christ died for everyone and Christ loves everyone, but you won't even eat with them? How are we supposed to believe that? This is how vital our internal hospitality is to the health of our local church and to the integrity of our gospel witness. And if we are not vigilant, the gift of hospitality can be lost in a local church. I went to a church in college for about two and a half years. I started going there near the end of my freshman year, and I was diligent, committed. I just, boom, I'm going to this church. I'm going to be a part of this church. I was going to go to church, you know. Um, I, I went there about eight weeks uh, when I had this kind of epiphany moment. Now, I didn't give up on them. I was going to outlast them, but I did it. About eight weeks, I noticed this. I'd gone there eight weeks, and no one had ever said hi to me before I said hi to them. 
And I was doing it right, too. I was showing up early and milling around in their little lobby. I was going to a Sunday school class. See, I grew up in the church. I knew how to do church. I was all in. And, and it's not like I was hard to notice. The Sunday school class I in, they were all old. They were all 40, like I am today. But at the time, I thought they were like ancient people, right? So I, I stood out. They knew that I was in the room. And I'm sort of a talker, too. I wasn't like in the back corner. I was like asking questions and arguing about what the Bible meant. and all. But nobody, nobody said hi to me before I said hi to them. Also, eight weeks in, no one had invited me to a meal. Not once, not ever. Which, when you're a college student, that's like, that's like a serious breach of protocol because that's what old people are for when you're in college is free food. Like, you know they serve a greater purpose as well, but like that, in my mind, I couldn't quite see to that. In fact, this is just how precocious I was. It was my fourth or fifth time there. Sunday school ran over a little bit, and so I knew that by the time I got home, the cafeteria would be closed, and I wouldn't have a chance for lunch. And, and the school I went to, we, our cafeteria didn't even open at all on Sunday night, so that was like the one big meal of the day. If you didn't get Sunday lunch, you were kind of sunk on Sundays. And so I, at the end of our Sunday school class, I just out loud for the whole group, while everybody's kind of packing up their notes and their worksheets, and so I just say, hey, since we ran over today... Uh, um, the cafeteria is already closed at Swarthmore, and there won't be any food for me today. So, like, does anybody have any lunch plans that I could sort of tag along with? Like, I get, I know you're thinking, wow, this kid is crazy rude. Yes, it was crazy rude. But guess what happened next? Nobody said anything. Like, nothing. Like, they're just, like, kind of packing up their Bibles and, like, picking it up and walking out. Bye, bye, bye. And, you know, and, like, nothing. Like, so I know I was rude, but just to be clear, they were ruder, okay? Just to be clear, ruder, okay? Now, listen, I'm not busting this church. Listen, I'm sure that the next person who joined that Sunday school, probably 10 people invited them out to lunch, okay? Like, I'm not, maybe they, I just was too freaky. I had long hair back then. There were lots of reasons that they might have not wanted to take me to lunch. I get that. But, but the stakes are high. I know it seems silly, but at the very pragmatic level, whether we do an act of hospitality or don't, they're super high. I mean, I wasn't going anywhere. I was a church kid, you know. I, I just kept going back to that Sunday school class, like, you won't buy me lunch. You're going to feel awkward about it until Jesus returns, you know. Eventually, you will break down, and somebody's going to buy me some food around here. That's all I know. Um, so it didn't happen, but I was committed. Okay, so... Um, but, 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 but somebody else would have left after that. You know, they wouldn't have come back after that, right? You know what I'm saying? The stakes are high. And, and, and even in our church, we don't always get this right. We do pretty good. I'm, I'm, I'm proud of our record of hospitality. But, but even small mistakes matter. We had a family. This is more than a year ago. They've been visiting the church uh, about three months. I got to meet them. And uh, so they had only experienced the public life of our church. We got talking. I said, how's it going? How's it going? They said, it's, it's good. It's good. We, we, we like it. We, you know, everybody's always friendly in the parking lot. We love your greeters. We love your worship. Your worship's amazing. The preaching's high, but we can live with it, you know. Um, so I said, I, I said, but we just don't feel connected here. And so I talked this thing about the, tool, the, dual, the dual nature of the church. There's a public aspect of the church and a personal aspect of the church. And you, you're, you're missing half the church if all you're doing is showing up on Sunday morning. You're only kind of half in. And they said, well, yeah, we're just trying to make friends or whatever. And I, I talked to them a little bit. They, they'd only ever gone to really small churches uh, where it, it's kind of the, the, the transition from the public side of the church to kind of the personal side of the church is a little easier in really small churches. I said, well, around here, if you don't go make the step to go connect with a group, 
or sign up for something like Dinner for Eight or join a Wednesday night class or join a service team, if you don't make the step to kind of get into a small community, you'll never really experience the hospitality of the church. So I really challenged them. I said, don't give up on us. You got to go to a group. So they picked a Sunday school class they were going to go to. They went to it the next week. Uh, about two weeks later, we touch base, and I say, hey, how'd it go? And they say, it was good. Well, everybody was nice, and the lesson was really good. I, you could kind of tell there was a, you know, a butt in their voice. I said, okay, but, but what was wrong? I said, well, it's kind of weird, but nobody invited us to do anything. Like some of them were talking about what they were doing and different things, but nobody said, hey, do you want to come to eat with us or whatever? Now, see, these weren't college students like I was. These are grown people. They went one time, and they were sad that nobody invited them out to eat. They weren't sure what to do. I, I encouraged them. I said, you've got to go back. These are great people. I promise. One time is not enough. You go more than once. Eventually, somebody's going to invite you out to eat. I promise. Uh, so I convinced them. They go back. I, I, I had it in my head I was going to call the teacher to make sure somebody asked them. I forgot, so I didn't do that. But anyway, so uh, I don't hear from them after Sunday, so I'm worried. All right? I'm like, oh, shoot. They're going to leave the church. Oh, well. We love them. God bless them. They'll be sad. Um, but but seven, ten days later, after we're playing phone tag a little bit, we finally reconnect. I said, so was it any better this time? I said, oh, my goodness, it was great. Three people asked us out. We just finished lunch with the so-and-sos. We're going to their house for dinner tomorrow night. Oh, we love these people. You're right. They're awesome. They're the greatest. All it took was a few people to, to invite them in to this in- essential gift and practice of the eternal life, the internal life of the church. Uh, without it, they, they were disconnected. With it, they're connected. It's just that little, little little thing. I told you that there might be a challenge in this message. Uh, It's pretty simple, isn't it? Don't miss half the life of the church, okay? If your only experience of this church right now is our public life, man, we're so glad you're here. I'm so grateful that you worship with us. Praise God for that. That's awesome. But your only experience in half the church, and God wants you to experience the whole thing, uh, you, you've got to experience the personal life of shared hospitality. Uh, and around here, the only way you're going to do that is going to make a move. Uh, if you're thinking, oh, it's just going to happen naturally. I'll make friends naturally. I'll connect with people naturally. I, I don't know anybody who's ever done that. Like somebody has to say, hey, do you want to go to lunch? Hey, nice shoes. I mean, somebody has to do something to start the, the ball rolling, start the work of hospitality rolling. And that might be you. If you feel like you're sitting on the outside looking in, wishing there was some way to make a connection, you're, you're probably going to have to make a move. Show up at a Sunday school class. Join a group. You know, so find somebody who looks normal and see if they want to go to lunch with you, you know? Something like that. So do that with us. On the flip side, I just want to say, if you maybe you feel like you are on the inside. You are connected with the personal life of the church. You've got people that are in your home, and you're in their home, and you know where they keep their silverware, and they know where you keep the soda in the fridge and all that. You've, you've got those. I just want to say, would you please expand your circle of welcome to include somebody who doesn't have that yet? Be on the lookout. I'm just telling you, still today, wouldn't it be awesome if we could say, if we could guarantee you show up at one of our Sunday school classes even one time, I guarantee you, you're going to get invited to lunch two or three times. Wouldn't that be awesome if we could guarantee that? That would make a difference. That would be a real, genuine expression of an essential gift of the life of the church. It really becomes that practical. This is a very, very practical gift. 
Uh, I will say, for a lot of us, a great way, some people are, got started, last year we started this thing, Dinner for Eight. I know some people that are now fully connected to our church, that we're feeling very disconnected, and the way they got started was Dinner for Eight last year. They just said, okay, we're signing up, we're going to do it, it's weird, I'm going to have to go eat with strangers. Well, now those strangers are their brothers and sisters in Christ, and they're, sharing, they're in their homes, and they're sharing life together, they're doing small groups together, and raising kids together. And we got Dinner for Eight going, got got Hundreds of you right now are in dinner for eight groups right now doing the same thing. Maybe I'm I'm talking about this and you're thinking, ah, shoot, I wish we'd signed up for dinner for eight. That would have been an easy way to get this hospitality thing started and experience the personal side of the church. You might even be thinking to yourself, if only it wasn't two weeks past the deadline. If only there was some way that just for a three-day window they could reopen dinner for eight signups. Well, we're going to do it right now. Officially, no, we did it yesterday, actually. But anyways, we're, okay, if you, if, you, if you need this, if you, don't, if you aren't connected in the personal life of this church and you just want to share a couple meals with people and see what God does with this, you can sign up for Dinner for Eight today and for the next three days. Um, you can do it on your connection card. I know most of you already turned those in. But if you didn't, just or go find one, put your information on it, and just put a giant eight on it. That's all you got to do. Great big giant eight. And we'll get you signed up. Or you can go online, fcc-jc.org slash eight. But the easiest thing is get a connection card, put your information on it, put a giant eight. And just for three days, we're going to keep dinner for eight registration open because we don't want this to just be some theoretical exercise. Because if you don't have this, if you don't have relationships with people in this church where you're eating together and sharing life together and telling stories together, you're only half in the church. Like you're missing half the church. And you don't want to go through life missing half the church. Hospitality, it turns out, is essential for the proclamation of our gospel. And it's essential for the life God wants to give us together. Let's pray that God would give us this gift. Gracious God, do a work of hospitality among us. Don't let us miss it. If we've got it, let's share it. And if we need it, Make us bold enough to ask for it so that we could be fully included in the life of your church in its public worship and witness and its personal relationship, fellowship, and sharing. We want the whole thing, God. Let this be true of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.